Finishing up a series where two weeks of it, uh, oh, making room for Jesus, making room for Jesus. This series was it's, it's designed, it's built along this idea. Like we want, we want our church to be a culturally relevant church. We want our church to be a people. We want to develop people within this church that actually are able to make impact in the world around them. Impact not just in the four corners of our church and our buildings, but impact wherever they go, whatever it is that you are. Uh, that you find yourself engrossed in within culture and life, we want you guys to be actually making an impact in that place, okay? And that's our hope. That's my, my, my plan. And so I understand, though, that oftentimes when you're out in the world and doing stuff, you get distracted. You know, you got school, you got work, you got stuff that, you got relationships that distracts you. And oftentimes when Jesus should be there, he's out. And so this series was developed and kind of made to... Uh, for us to discern and kind of think about, hey, am I really making room for Jesus in my life? I mean, I, if Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, am I really making room for him in my existence? Okay? I've talked a lot about different things, but today I want to talk to you guys about one big thing. It's about being culturally relevant, right? Being able to contextualize, being part of the culture, but not actually in a way where you are being dumb. Okay? I'm going to try to make, I'm going to do my best today to make Christianity sound relevant and cool, right? I'm not even sure that's possible, but I'm going to, of course it's possible, all right? I'm, I'm going to try my best to make sure that you, whatever Christianity that you grew up learning and hearing, honestly, whatever Christianity that you grew up learning and hearing, whatever weird forms you have, I'm going to do my best today to teach you what the Bible tells you about your faith, right? Because the Bible has its power, and actually Christianity and the gospel has its power to change the world. And so if it has the power to change the world, it has the power to engage in your culture, right? Sometimes we have this issue. We, we kind of like divide my, my church life from the rest of my life, right? Here's my church life. Here's my hallelujah, right? And here's my uh, life, like hallelujah, right? <laughs> it's it's kind of like those kind of um, the economy that we live in. And so my prayer is that we're going to try to make sure that you understand what culture, how Christians engage with culture, make room for Jesus in culture. Yes, follow? Yeah? All right. Um, why don't you bow your head? Let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you so much, Lord for your word today that's about to be preached. We pray, oh Lord, that it will give us clarity and wisdom in the way we engage with people, in the way, Father, we engage with the world around us. Give us, Father God, vision. Give us inspiration. Give us conviction to live a life worthy of the name of Jesus Christ, a life worthy of the, the truth that you give to us this day and forever. We thank you so much. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. It is Paul writing a letter to a church that he founded, now betraying him. Now he's pretty much, you know, um, running him over under the bus, right? He's, he's just being ostracized. He's hated by the church. He writes them this letter because he's hearing a lot of crazy stuff that's coming out of this church, and he wants to fix it. He wants to kind of set them straight again, set them back on the right path. And so this church, what it looks like in this group, we got two, like, polar opposites in this group, okay? On, on one side of the church, we got like this kind of like left-leaning group, extreme left-leaning group. They're all about, you know, loving the culture, embracing it, sleeping with prostitutes at the temple, you know. As long as we're a part of the culture, we're good. We're, we're being relevant. We're being trendy. We're being hip. We're being cool, right? We're being able to connect to the people around us. We're not boring and stuck into a four-wall four building, 
right? And on the other side, we got this, this really deep right-leaning group that says, like, look, we got to keep it peace, man. We got to keep it straight. We got to keep it on the narrow. We got to make sure the gospel is, is secure and protected and is honored. We got to make sure all these people who are saying all these crazy things are going to be cut out and kicked out of our church because we don't need crazies in our church, right? We need the gospel to be pure in the church. And so here's this dichotomy of people within God's building, being led by specific cultures in their life. And Paul writes this letter and says, hey, look, man, if you want to make room for Jesus in your life, you got to figure out how to navigate this. You got to figure out how to navigate a world that's telling you one thing, gospel's telling you another thing. How do I navigate it in a way that actually brings flourishing, right? Because the worst that can happen is you're, you're so trendy, you're so hip that God's out the window, the other thing is that you're so, you're so straight and so narrow and so focused and so nitpicking that people go out the window, right? How do we navigate this dichotomy in such a way where it brings flourishing to the world around us, through us, right? You guys get me? All right? So here Paul, he writes his letter. He writes in this part in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19. You guys want to read 19 and 23. And he's, basically, he's going he's gonna to throw down this, this kind of passage. He's going to say, look, I have become all things to all men. I am a chameleon. I am not just some sort of like weird Bible preaching, like, like stuck person. All right? Whatever they need me to be, as long as I can preach the gospel to them, that's who I will become. Okay, check this out. Verse 19. Though I am a free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So Paul's engagement here is like, hey, look, I can do whatever I want, honestly. I'm a free man. No one can tell me what to do, but even though I am a free man, I make myself become whatever it is that the world around me needs me to be so that I can win as many people as possible to this gospel, to this good news, so that they will know a life everlasting, a life that's changing. He Paul said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to engage in this world so I can win them, Okay. Verse 20, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became one, like, one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And Paul's basically just saying, look, if you're religious, I can be religious, right? If you're like this church, you know, going, Bible preaching, Bible thumping person, I can be that for you, right? If it means that by that I can get you to see who Jesus is, I can be religious, Right? Verse 21, to those not having law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. So if you're out there and you don't believe in God, you don't have that kind of like foundation in any type of religious, spiritual aspect, it's all right. I'll be there for you too. Like I'm not just one or the other. I'm willing to beat you there, wherever you're at, in order to meet you, right? 22, to the weak, I became weak. To win the week, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Paul is telling us two things here. We're going to learn three aspects from this passage, and we're going to uh, read more of it a little bit. But three things. The first is the power of mission, the power to change culture, the power to engage culture. Okay, the power of being missional in your culture that you live in. He's telling us two very specific things that we have to understand if you're going to be able to contextualize, contend, and bring flourishing to wherever you go. To be a Christian that's actually relevant to this world and not irrelevant. Okay, the first thing Paul says is that you got to be able to walk 
in the shoes of those around you. You got to be able to understand where they're coming from. You cannot just make a point-blank statement on who they are, what they're doing, what they're all about, simply because you don't like their lifestyle, simply because their lifestyle and their lifestyle don't match up. Just because they are doing something that you don't feel like or you don't uh, have room for in your personal life, it does not mean that you have the right to distance yourself from that person. Paul says, I have become all things to all men that I may win as many as possible. This picture here is the idea of biblical pity. Now, I know you think of the word pity as from an Asian culture. Like, don't pity me. Like, I got Biblical pity means this. It does not mean that you're a weak child, okay? Biblical pity means this. I understand why you did what you did if I was in your shoes. If I grew up the same way you grew up, if I had the same mother, same father, if I had the same background, I understand deeply why you did what you did, why you do what you do. I understand why you hang around with the people you hang around with. I understand why you date the people you date if I grew up the same way you did. Biblical pity is being able to walk in their shoes, understanding for where they're at, and then not staying there, but bringing them out of that. You guys follow me? Right? And the best example of biblical pity that we see right, is in the Bible when, um, when Jesus himself had pity God. He didn't have to come down. God being God, he didn't have to be distant from, he, he didn't have to be close to us. But that's the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. Beyond any other religious thing in this world, the one thing that's, that, that stands out above all else about Jesus Christ is that he was willing to walk in our shoes. You understand that? The Bible says he understands your struggles. He understands the feeling of you being caught in a courtroom trying to prove yourself every day trying to chase after something all the time, trying to find your identity and your worth and your value, whether in your money, whether it's in relationship, whether it's in family. He understands that because he walked as a man on this earth. He understands the struggle. He understands the pain. And that's why it was for his joy that he took the cross because he knew exactly how to get you out. See, biblical pity is the ability to step into someone's shoes feel their pain, know their hurt, and walk them out of it. That's the first thing Paul is trying to point here. second thing Paul is saying is this. I do it to win as many as possible. I do it so that I may share in the blessing of the gospel. So one, he's all about people, but here he's saying this. There's something beautiful about this gospel, which means good news. There's something beautiful about this good news that I do it for. It's so good that I want to share it with people. It's so good that I don't want to keep it to myself. It's so good that it, it, it needs to be shared. Right? Like I tell you guys all the time, I know when the next big bobo shop comes out because all y'all's Instagram about it like really fast. Like I, may, I have like five people, like either they all went at the same time or they went multiple times, but y'all's Instagram the same boba with the same logo. Like I think the last one I saw was The Alley. I think it just opened up around here, right? Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's my place, right? Anyways, right? You know, like it's, you know because it's too good and you got to share it. You want to share it. So Paul, in the same way, saying this gospel that I have is so good. And I want to win as many as possible. Not just to like, you know, to use it as, a, as some sort of tool upon people. I want to use it because I want people to understand that this life that they live this chasing that they're constantly going for. And you guys know the chase. I've talked about the chase so many times. Where you're running from one thing to the next to the next. You're running in circles, trying to find your way. 
know what I'm talking about? Right now, most of you guys are probably like, uh, maybe some of you guys are in college, you're thinking like, if I just get through college, I get my job, things are gonna be good, things are gonna be great. But you know the moment you chase after that and you finish that, you're, getting, you're trying to get your job, because that's the next level for some of you guys. You're trying to figure out your job, your career path, and you're like, I'm just not satisfied here, I'm not, this is not good for me. And then for some of you guys, if I just get the right career, if I get the right thing, things will be great. And for some of you guys, you're in that place where you got your career, but you're still not satisfied, you're still not happy. He's like, oh, if I just get my husband or my wife or somebody to love me because I feel so alone now, right, I will do great by that. And some of you guys are there. You're, you're married, and you're thinking the next stage is, what if I just get, if I just have kids, right? My husband wasn't as great as I thought he was. My wife is not as perfect as she thought she was. What if I just have kids? I will live through my kids. And you're just chasing one thing after another. You guys follow me, right? You're just chasing one thing after another. And Paul is saying, I have a good news for you that puts you in a place that you don't have to chase anymore, where you know who you are, you are satisfied for wherever God has placed you at, and you are enjoying that moment, and you're not running for the next step, right? That you are able to live in that very moment. Wonderful. So Paul is saying, this side, I'm contending for the gospel. I'm not going to let this slip by. I'm not just going to be nice and loving and sweet to people. I'm contending for this gospel. I am fighting for the truth of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's something about this message that can actually save people. See, Christianity is not just about information. Christianity is about power. There's an actual power that comes from the gospel that can save you. A lot of times you don't recognize that. Power, because I'm not going to lie to you, you've been taught by a lot of weird people who've taught you random information, right? Either you've, been, you've, been, you've grown up in a culture where it's all about, like, just love people, right? By loving people, you're just going to be a great person. You're going to feel awesome by that. Do have good vibes, you know? Be positive. You're great, you know? But there's no change because you're just saying, like, how much more great do I have to be? I'm so lonely still, right? But on the other side, you grew up in a church to probably be like, hey, y'all's like, look, this is all the stuff we're against, so if you're in a part of that, if you're dressing a certain way, you're listening to a certain thing, you're eating a certain thing, you got to cut that mug out, right? Because that's not gospel. That's not Jesus. That's not Christian. You got to stop that. And because of that, you get in this kind of caught up state of like, there is no power in this message because I'm not changing. I'm not changing at all. But the gospel that Paul is preaching, it says there is blessing in this message. There's power in this message. And I want to share it with you. I want you to flourish with it. But the only way you can do that is you have to figure out how to contend and contextualize the message so that when you live it out, it actually brings flourishing. So Paul is saying on one side, two points he's making. On one side, I love people. On the other side, you got to know your message. You can't just sweep this under the rug and just kind of be like, oh, it's all about love and not about this. The message of the gospel is what? The life and death the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no inherently good people. Guys. There is just bad people and bad people who knows Jesus. That's all it is, right? There is a brokenness that's, that's just prevalent into this world. It is seen, if you look deep enough, you look hard enough, you will see it in every human soul. You can see it in children, right? I mean, I, I, I heard this line from a pastor once. I thought it was the most genius line. Babies, they're not cute and sweet, right? Babies are di uh, uh, diapers of vipers. Right? That's what he says. They're vipers and diapers, you know? There's nothing sweet about them, okay? Those mugs, okay? There's no, for all. And the second thing he says is this, very simple. The Bible says, for the wages of sin, then death. 
That's the trajectory on. Everyone's going to die. You have a 100% chance of dying, okay? <laughs> I will bet on that. <laughs> you ask, like, I'm never going to die. I will bet. I'll take that bet, all right? You have a 100% of dying. And if you die in your sins, that's it. It's GG for you. But the Bible says what? Uh, Romans 6, 23, for the gift of God is eternal life. So therefore, if you declare with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, if you believe, if you declare with your mouth, you believe with your heart, you will be saved. There's more to life that you're chasing. The life that you're in now without him is a life that's constantly running in circles and you're just killing yourself. You're like a chicken with your head cut off and you're just running. You have no idea where you're going, but you're running. You're thinking you're going somewhere, but you have no idea. And Paul is saying there's a message that tells you where to go, the direction you're heading, a direction of hope and peace. You guys get me? And so Paul, he's putting up these two points, right? Huge two points here. So this is who I am. I'm a contender for the gospel. I ain't letting this slip by, but at the same time, I'm a lover of people. I can contextualize this gospel to whoever and whomever wants to hear it. Not to a certain group of people, not to a certain type of ever takes me. You know, some of you guys are like this. Some of you guys will be like, you will have no problem when you say PT. If I say, you know, hey, let's go to China. Let's learn the language. Let's go out there. Let's reach uh, lost people in China. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But if I said like, hey, let's, uh, let's go and uh, save people at the rave scene. Every single rave. We'll, go, we'll spend a whole year and we'll do a mission to the rave. Some of you guys will be like, Phew. others will be like, I volunteer. I distribute, right? Some of you guys, I volunteer right now as tribute. Okay, anyways, okay. The point is, Paul's saying what? What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, why does it have to look like a certain thing, right? Why does mission have to look a certain way? Everyone needs him, right? People have to raise him. I heard there's actually like... Christians need to right? Right, yeah. You guys were like, what? I know. Open your eyes a little bit more. And so here it is. Sometimes in the church, even though Paul is saying contend, contextualize, this is how you bring flourishing. In the church, whenever we have this problem, we begin to do one or two extremes. One extreme, we're all like this. I just want to love you. Right? Tell me your problems. And they start hearing, like, oh, yeah, I hear you. I feel you. I understand you. And then they'll say something like, so do you understand why I can't stop? Not sleeping with my boyfriend? I hear you. I understand you. I feel you, right? Do you understand why then that I constantly have to miss church? I get it. It makes sense, right? We love you, right? Do you understand why I'm always drunk? I get it. I, I feel you. I understand you. Do you understand why I, uh, I can't leave my family? I get it. You're right. The gospel doesn't pertain to you. Your excuse like the number one excuse in the world. Who knows the gospel? Take time. Take a break from Jesus. You know, he can't you. He doesn't, he can't in this situation. Your situation is too unique and extreme. So let me just, yeah. That's the one extreme, yes? Right? Some of you guys are like, dude, that's me. I know, right? The other extreme, okay? The other extreme is like this, okay? The other extreme, you got people talking about like, hey, look, I'm not so sure about the way you dress. Mm -hmm. That's low, low, right? Really low, both ways. That this not looking great, you know. I'm not so sure if you should be listening to that. 
That's very polluting to the mind and to the heart. I'm not so sure you should be. I want you to know everything that we are against so that you can keep yourself pure. I want, I want you to make sure you understand everything that you are not good about so that way you can keep yourself from being polluted by the world. You're absolutely 100% correct. Man, you contended for the gospel, fought the good fight. You made sure the gospel sound honorable and pure. Now what? What are you going to do with that now? What do you mean? How are you going to love this person? Or like, love someone? Like, how do I do that? Okay? What's that about? See, whenever we deal with the church, we always have one of these extremes that comes up. You either you're all truth and you got no love. Or you only love those who, what, think the same way as you. Or you got all love, but you got no truth. Right? You're all about loving and accepting and, op- and just being um, open. Right? You can love somebody and not agree with them. You guys follow me? Right? My son all the time tells me, Dad, you don't love me. <laughs> I was like, that's possible. Right? But like, like, you don't love me, Dad. I was like, why don't I love you? He said, if you love me, you'll give me this. Like, what is this? I, I, candy. I'm like, look, you probably have gotten the time you lost seven teeth because of your candy. Yes, sir. Remember the times I had to hold you while you were knocked out? Right? Because you were on anesthetics or anesthesia or whatever that thing is, right? And then they had to pull your teeth out. Yeah. I don't have to agree with you. Some message, Grace. You guys get me? But we somehow we got into this kind of habit, and I think our culture tells us that too, that we have to agree in order to love. Is that kind of weird? Right? You know this intrinsically, but then for some reason, you force this idea upon, and we do this in church all the time. It's not just outside. We do this in church all the time. Either agree with you, or because if I don't agree, then I'm not loving you, and I want to love you. Or I don't agree with you, and unless you agree with me, I won't love you. That's the extreme we find ourselves in. You guys get that? Right? But Paul, is, it Paul, is Paul saying that? He said, no. You are to be a contender and a contextualizer. Be someone who fights for the truth of this gospel because it is life giving. But you do it to anyone who is willing to listen. You, you become whatever they need to be in order to make it happen. Right? Right? Because you guys get that? All right. So the part here is this the tension of mission, the tension of culture, tension what happens when a church begins to actually start thinking, oh, we should actually go out of these walls and deal with people out there? Yes, okay? The tension that begins to show itself up when you begin to deal with culture, okay? A lot of times the church will say, you know what? Don't deal with the culture. Stay locked up. This is your spot. Do this. And then, you know, go out there and live a double life and it'll be all good as long as you show up here and you look okay, right? Do you understand that Jesus... Jesus was a man of culture. He wasn't some neutral dude that just came on earth. He's just like, I'm neutral for the rest of my life. He was a man of culture. Why? Because he was born into what type of culture? A Jewish culture. He was born into a Jewish culture, which meant, which meant he did what? He partied like the Jews. He, he hung out in the holidays with the Jews. He ate Jewish food. He was raised in a Jewish education system. Right? He, he did things based on his culture. He was a man of culture. So as believers, Paul is saying, are you supposed to be devoid of your culture? Are you supposed to kind of like insulate yourself and kind of be like, let's just keep us, make this dividing line, it's us and them. Paul saying, no. To the Jews, I'm a Jew. To those who are not a Jew, I'm not, to the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. To the weak, 
I became weak that I may win all people. But here's the issue. It's like, whoa, 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 PT. Like, I grew up in some crazy church. I grew up with some crazy, like, hardcore conservative parents and teachers and whatever. And they always tell me culture is dangerous. Culture is worldliness. Culture has a problem bringing you trapped out there and you're not actually doing anything good. You're being worldly, okay? I need you to read your Bible. That's all I need you to do. Okay, read your Bible and figure this stuff out because worldliness does not mean, does not, it's, it's, worldliness does not mean you cut culture out of your life. When you deal with culture, let me break it down for you. There's three things you always, you deal with culture, okay? Three specific things. This is just uh, information for you. First, you gotta think about, can I, is this part of the culture that I need to, can you just hear me? This is like really annoying. I'd rather wear that football helmet thing. Is this better? Yeah? Okay. All right, so, um, so one part of it is, can I, is there part of culture that I should reject? Part of our culture that we should be rejecting? Yeah. Is there part of culture that I should be receiving? And there are part of, is there part of our culture that I should be redeeming? Okay. I see a drop so out. let me give you some example of rejection, okay? There are things, maybe I should button up, that's probably why. There are things, as a Bible-believing Christian, we need to reject from the culture, okay? For example, there's no such thing as a Christian drug addict, okay? There's no crystal meth users for Christ, okay? It doesn't work that way. It's not like, it's not, no, you're like, what, right? It's not like, to the crackheads, I became a crackhead, okay? It doesn't, doesn't, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, I smoke a bong, I talk about Jesus, I passed it on, they smoked it and they saw Jesus. It doesn't, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, deal with that, okay? That's not how it works here, okay? There are, there are things in the culture that we have to reject. There's no such thing as a Christian axe murderer, right? There, there are things that you cannot wrap yourself around with the biblical principles and say, yeah, I can do that, okay? So there are things you obviously have to reject from culture. There are things that you should receive from culture, like an environment climate people. And so you go out there and you receive that because you know what? If you, you, you love nature, you want the world to do better, you, you want to see things, great. Guess what? I know the creator. That's awesome, you know? You worship that? Don't. Worship the one who actually made that, right? You receive that. You want to be a part of that. Join into that, okay? Don't be crazy, but join into that, you know? Don't be like one of those people that like, I'm, you know, like you are driving a Honda Civic, you polluter of air you you know like no it doesn't work that you know <laughs> yeah right so join into it because god is a creator receive that part from culture as a christian you're allowed to let me throw it can you answer you're, you're allowed to receive that from culture for another example um music the arts you're allowed to receive music and the arts from the culture around you if it's good you should receive it who cares who's this from? Who cares who made it? Who cares the political or the cultural or the spiritual background they have when they make it, okay? Some people, like, you know, like, I, I hear stuff, like, all the time, like, hey, you shouldn't listen to it. Like, why? Because the artist is gay. I'm like, okay. But what does that have to do with the music, right? It's like, it influences. It's like, I'm pretty sure this song is just a love song, but it's about, but he's from a gay perspective. I'm like, but it's, you can actually, you know, sing the song to a girl too, and it'll be okay as a guy, you know, like, yeah, but you can't because you're a Christian. So no, okay? Jesus is a creative God. You can receive art. You can receive that. The, the, the craziest thing in my head sometimes I, I, I get is like, uh, some people, they say they can't eat Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A is, you know, supports, you know, like uh, other things. And they're like, oh, we, we got to ban Chick-fil-A. Why? The chicken is good. 
eat the chicken. It's a great chicken. That sauce is unbelievable. You know, why ban it? You know? But the thing is, we got to be, as, as Christians, but, but it works both ways. So as Christians, we, we, we have this problem too. We kind of like cut things off just because we look at the people and not the actual art behind it. We can receive art. We can receive music. All right? If it's done well, right? God is creative. He's creative in that way. We can receive technology. We shouldn't be like always, well, we don't have it, but, you know, we, we shouldn't have like be a church that's like about the organs and the choir and stuff like that. You know, like it was, it was, it was hilarious. I'll tell you a story. Like one of the, when I was in the board meeting and one of the board members like, you know what EM should do? EM should have a choir. I'm like, like what? He's like, like you, you're telling me that I should go into my English ministry service and ask people to come up and volunteer to sing in the choir. He's like, yes, because it's biblical. I'm like, hmm. No. <laughs> and it's not going to work that way. It's like, no, it's biblical. Like, where did you get that in the Bible? It's like, the choirs of angels singing. I was like, okay. When you start getting trumpets and harps in here too, I'll think about like uh, having a choir for our church, okay? See, we should receive things that are new. We shouldn't be afraid of new technology within the group, okay? We receive that because the, the culture opens it up. We should receive, I mean, as a 36-year-old, honestly, I can't keep up anymore. Like, I, I don't know what social media is actually in now. Like, I mean, Facebook is all I got. I, I can't go past, I can't, I can't even get into Snapchat or whatever is happening. You know, like, nowadays, like, youth kids are telling me there's TikTok, where they just, they, they kind of get into that too, right? Like, I don't know what that is, but they, they tell me it's in there. Like, you know, some of you guys are like, what's that? All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, for that, make me feel alone. Okay, all right, so we receive technology. It's a good thing. Technology is awesome. Okay, it can be used for bad, of course, right? You can use the internet and put up like porn, or you can use the internet and actually put up sermons. You know, it's up to you. Use technology in a good way. Okay. So when we when we deal with when we deal with culture, especially trying to contend for it and contextualize it, oftentimes we face tension. Some of these tensions we have to figure out: Do I receive it? Do I reject it? And one of the last ones: Do I redeem it? Redeem it. There are things in this culture that are not either good or evil, or maybe they were once good, but then it got corrupted. Okay. And our job as believers is to redeem it, okay? Either you receive, you reject, or you redeem. To redeem culture looks something like this. Sometimes you got to redeem something like alcohol, okay? Not good in one way or the other, but we, don't, we want to make sure we're not having, like, drunkenness all the time, okay? That we can have a drink and not, like, be like, oh, my God, look at that Christian, that sinner, right? They just threw back a bottle of beer, right? Horrible. Can you redeem that? Redeem money. You can redeem money. Where money is not this kind of action where it's all about like, hey, like it's for me, but you can actually use money as a means to an end and not the end itself. You redeem the usage of money. Right? Or you redeem sex. Sex is a big one. You know, like it's 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 crazy. There was there was a there was a time when you know, saving yourself for for marriage was a was actually an honorable thing. Now it's kind of like like, well, that's weird kind of thing. Right? I have a friend of mine, good friend of mine, like, she's been single for a while, <laughs> for like a long while. She's, she's my friend, so she's my age, right? She's single for a long time. She started dating again, got into like the dating scene, doing the whole like coffee meets bagel and like Christian mingle and all that stuff, right? So she's meeting all these guys and she's telling me about these stories. And sometimes it's like, they're, they're pretty funny, sometimes they're pretty cute. Other times it's kind of weird, you know? Like, she met this guy that she dated for about uh, two, two, three, three months. And it, uh, she thought, I was like, hey, this is actually going somewhere. This actually seems pretty good, right? And then she, she told me, like, so I think, I think I'm going to end it with this dude. I was like, why? It's like, so I told him, like, hey, um, I'm really not into, like, thinking about having sex before marriage. 
And he, at first, I thought he was like, oh, I, sure, I respect you, no problem, right? But then, like, after three months, he was like, so were you really serious about that? And she's like, yeah, 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 of course. You're, like, you, are you? And she was like, yeah. Like, well, you know, relationships, sex is part of relationship, don't you think? Like, of course, when you're married, because sex, sex is a sacred thing that I see. She, at least she was trying to explain it to him. And he was like, well, but that's not fair. You're you going to make me wait? It's like, well... Well, we're pretty old already, so, you know, I'm hoping if this is serious, you don't have to wait that long, right? It's like, but, like, you're going to, well, what if, I'm, what if I'm not, like, really fully committed? I have to wait about two, three years. They're so like, well, if it's good, you should wait for it, right? And he was like, that's weird. And she says, you're weird, you know? And everyone else is saying, like, this is weird. This is a weird situation. But we got to redeem sex. You know, we redeem sex not because it's like, oh, it's sex, shame on you. Like, that's icky and nasty. We redeem sex because we see sex as what? Sacred. Sex is, sex, is this, um, sex is this amazing thing that God has created. He created it with one purpose in mind. That if you use it rightly, it has the power to build two people together like no other. And I told you guys so many times, sex is this, ability, this, this spiritual aspect to sex that when you engage in intimacy with your wife or your husband, what happens is it always reminds you of the promise you made together. In the thrill of it, in the joy of it, in the pleasure of it, it always reminds you of like, oh yeah, that's the promise I made to this woman. Oh yeah, that's the promise I made to this man. But when you cheapen it, when you cheapen it, it becomes like, well, I would like this promise to be real, but I'm not sure if they're really committed to that. They're telling me they're committed, but there's no actual guarantee behind it. And so we don't want to make sex cheap. We want to redeem it to become sacred. Right? That's what we do. In culture, we have to ask ourselves, are there areas that we should redeem? Sex, money, alcohol, singleness, right? Singleness. To redeem your singleness, if you're a single person, it's not to be like a taboo. I know we live in an Asian church that so everyone's asking you at this age, probably like, when are you going to get married? Like, where's your guy, where's your girl? And you're like, I'm an independent woman. I don't need a man in my life, right? But redeeming singleness is not about being independent. I don't need a man in my life. Redeeming singleness is saying, so what are you going to do with the time that you have as a single person? Singleness means that your, your, your dedication now is not to another person, but your singleness is your dedication now to the Lord himself. So what are you doing with that singleness? How are you using it for actual flourishing and purpose in your life? Right? We redeem things like family and marriage. Man, family and marriage. In a culture that is like all about like, hey, let's not get married. The institution of marriage is so overrated. The idea of a paper and signing your name on it is just so dumb. Who does that anymore? Right? And yet, let me tell you guys, if God is who he says he is, you know the first institution he put down before the Ten Commandments was even created was the institution of marriage. You guys realize that? Marriage came before everything else because that's how important, how sacred it is. And so when we as a church, as God's people, begin to redeem marriage to show that, you know what, you don't have to live in a broken house. To show that, you know what, as a father, you can actually lead. You should lead. You're redeeming the aspect of what it means to be a man in the house, a man in society. In the same way, if you are in a marriage and you're, 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 you're as a wife, you're living your life uh, redeeming marriage, you show the world what it looks like to love, to submit in such a way that actually flourishes those around you and lifts those around you up 
rather than just trying to be independent, standing on your own and being like, I'm all my, I'm all good. We redeem family and marriage and how we raise our children. So the tension of the tension of culture that we always face when we begin to deal with this, okay, is do I reject it? We don't have Christian, you know, crystal meth users for Jesus, okay? Do I receive it? There are things in culture that I can receive that's actually going to be great, or do I redeem it? There are things in this uh, culture that I need to think about redeeming rather than just accepting as my own, okay? And we have to contend and contextualize for the gospel. Paul is saying very simply, the power to fix culture, the power to deal with the life around you when you're making room for Jesus and the life that you live, culture that you live, you got to be able to have the guts to contend for it and contextualize it, right? The moment we are seriously thinking about making room for Jesus, we begin to have this issue about left and right, okay? We see it in politics. We see it in church all the time. The left will be something like this. You have, you have no idea how many people will come to me oftentimes and say, you know what, PT, I love your church. I say, I like my church too, right? You guys are pretty, you know, it's pretty, pretty mellow. You guys don't mind concerts. You throw back a few here and there, a couple parties you have. Everybody is tatted up. No one's saying anything about it, right? Right? But like, 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 bro, like, do you have, do you have talk about Jesus all the time? Like, I'm about to bring my buddy in and, you know, talk about, like, all that love part. That part was good. You know, don't, can we not, like, put the whole, like, you might die. There's hell waiting for you, right? It's hot there, too. You know, like, you know, can you not put that stuff into the picture? Can you talk about the touch about obedience and, like, sacrifice? That's, that's kind of, like, offensive to me. Right? Because I like, I, like, I like what you do. You're, you're, you're connecting with people. You're connecting with your culture. You're connecting with a group of people who are into that. But I'm not so sure about this part. Like the gospel, the word, all that. I'm not so sure. Well, here's the thing. Well, either I offend you or I offend God, right? So I'm going to choose to offend you, okay? So when we talk about, when we are, when we are people of culture, you got to make sure that you talk about the gospel in its totality, it is the only power to save you from the endless chase you're on. And so I'm not going to downplay the gospel and just try to be loving to you. I'm going to love you and tell you, look, there's a God who loves you that he will give his life for you so you will stop chasing what you're chasing. But then what happens when we begin to be serious about this whole contend, contending and contextualizing? We got people on the right saying stuff like this. And then you'll, you'll know how many times I get this also. You say, P.T.? You know, when I first saw you, I was kind of like iffy about you. You know, like, I, I, you know, I, didn't, I, I thought you were kind of weird. I, I didn't think you would be as conservative as you actually came out to be, right? I mean, I didn't know that you actually have doctrines in your teaching. I, I didn't know that you actually talk about Jesus that often, right? I didn't know the gospel showed up as much as, as, it, as it does. I'm, I'm, that's pretty crazy. This is a very conservative, theologically conservative church. That's, that's pretty awesome. But do you, like, what's up with all the drinking all the time, right? Like, what's, what's up with, like, the partying and why does everyone in your church, like, secretly have a tatted somewhere that's just hidden that they don't want to show, but everyone can see it somehow, right? Like, what's up with that? I'm not so sure we like that. I'm not so sure we're, we're okay with that. Well, here's the thing. I have a great gospel, yes? And it's to save who? Everyone. Not just whoever you like. Not just whoever fits into the mold that you want to fit into. I have a gospel that's meant to save every tribe, every tongue, every culture. And so my goal is to make sure people are hearing the gospel, repenting of it, coming to Christ, not running away from it because you build a wall around it. 
not running away from it because you, you force them to fit a mold in order for them to actually sit in the pews. Not forcing them to be a certain way just because you want them to act a certain way. All right, that's not what we're about here. We must always walk the balance of contending and contextualizing for the sake of the gospel. You guys get me so far? You guys want to get on going at this? You live in a culture. You know you live in a culture. Some of you guys are Generation X, Y, Z, I, whatever it is, boomers, right, wherever you guys are at in your life, okay? <laughs> I know, that's a new meme just came out. I'm trying to be relevant, okay? Yeah. Raise your hand proud, Pastor Perry, right? You know, like we, we, got, we, got, we got a lot of generations here. We all have different cultural contexts that we deal with. Do we negate the gospel, the good message? No, of course not. Do not take this out. Do not change it one iota. But we can't just stay here. We got to be able to deal with the people that we are meeting with all the time. There are people that you guys live with in work, at church, I mean, at work, at school, your friends, different culture, different background, different things, the art, the music, the genre that they, they deal with, they're all different. And you should be able to take this unchanging word of God, truth of God, and contextualize it for wherever they are. Not be what? One way or the other. Can't, I mean, I see this a lot in our church. It's like, oh, we're all about love. We're all about love. It's love. I will love you. But we don't even share the message of love. That can actually change you. Oftentimes we have people who are like, you know, it's all about, hey, keep this mold. Don't mess with it, right? This is how we stay conservative. That's how we stay pure. But we don't actually reach anybody, right? That's the tension we live in. Paul is saying, I'm a contender and I contextualize the gospel so that I will bring flourishing to wherever I go. Look for verse 24. Last thing, requirement of mission is holiness. Verse 24, this is what he says. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Right? Paul's saying if you run in a race, run to win. Okay? Run to win. If you're going to run the race of life, run to win this race. I cannot stand a culture, or especially our culture, who is like giving prizes to kids just because they tried. Okay? I'm like, all right, Seth, man, look, you hit 30. Or I want to make everyone give their money back, right? You had 30 laughs or everyone is like, okay, daddy, don't worry, right? I was like, you know, he did this fun run that he had to raise money for, right? It's like a dollar per lap or whatever. And I'm like, they're thinking $30, bro. Like, don't run 15, okay? You got to run like 30 at least, you know, to, to make it. And he's like, don't worry, daddy. I was like, okay. But, you know, after three laps, I'm like, oh, he's dead. This fool's not going to make it, man. He looks, he's like, he's, 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 he's gasping for air. He's like his dad. He can't make it now, right? All right, but you know, praise the Lord. You know, he he actually he actually did. He did more. He's about 36, 39 laps, right? Thank God, because I was like, dude, I do not want to give back everyone's money. That'd be so sad, right? Well, here it is. You know, we we live in a culture where we we are running races, but we're not running to win. I'm participating. That's good enough, right? I did my best. All right, but the Bible says run to win. Okay, so I don't know what to say about that. Okay, the Bible says run. No one runs a race. What is this? Wait, let me read it one time for you guys. This is hilarious. It says this. It says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Be the person who gets the prize. What does, what does that mean? Some of you guys are not believers. You're not. And it's, it's all right. Okay? And I'm okay with that. This is why you're here. Okay? To hear the, the gospel correctly. Okay? Hopefully. Right? Whatever messed up version of it you've heard before, prayerfully you hear it right this time. Right? You're not believers. And so you run, but you're running in circles. You're trying to get a prize, but you don't even know what your prize is. You think your prize is happiness, 
and for some reason, you're still not happy. Isn't that weird? Like you're chasing, you're running, you're, you're going from one thing to the next, and you're trying to be happy, but you're not actually happy because you don't actually know what the prize is. The prize of life, the prize of life is Jesus Christ. That you were made for that. There's a God-shaped hole in your life that is crying out, go to the one who has made you. Become holy as he is holy. Right? Run his race. And so you don't know, so you run in circles instead. Okay? Some of you guys, you say you're running. I say, I know I'm going, PT. I got this, man. But all you do is you contend, you nitpick, and you fight. You're a hypocrite because you're acting like a Pharisee. Right? You, you know all the words of Paul. You can quote them, no doubt, but you don't live like Paul. Because Paul doesn't just sit around just, you know, yelling at everybody for messing up the gospel. He goes out there and he actually fights for the souls of people. He loves them. But here you are, you're sitting around and all you do is just kind of like, hey, I feel like you're not doing this passage right now. Right? I feel like we're not supposed, we're against this. Why are you acting like that? And so eventually you, you scare off everybody in the church and you got the perfect gospel, of course. You, you got the pure, beautiful gospel, but what you've done nothing with it. You've done absolutely, there is no prize for you. There is absolutely no prize for you. Because you're running in such a way where God's going to be like one day before I'm saying, God, I did all this for you. I fought and I defended and I honored the gospel. But I never knew you. I never knew you because you never knew me. You never loved me. But I did. I fought for your gospel. You never loved your people. You never loved my people. If you don't love them, you didn't love me. So what did you do with your life? Run as to get the prize. All right? Some of us on the other side, we're like, yeah, we're hip. We're cool. Okay? You're trendy. Right? You recycle. Woohoo! Right? You wear vintage clothing. Right? You have good hair. You look great. Awesome. 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 But have you contended for the gospel of Christ? When your friends say something like, hey, man, Honestly, bro, all religion are the same. Are you being PC? You'd be like, yeah, all right, I guess, right? Or you'll be like, well, no, not really, <laughs> you know? Jesus is a little bit different. Are you contending? Are you actually stepping in and saying, I'm not, I mean, I know I look good, but I'm also pretty smart too, right? Let me tell you the truth. Are you willing to step into it and be a coward, take a hit at the plate? And say, hey, look, Jesus, there's, there's um, um, not everyone gets to go to heaven, right? There's truth about this. And you're willing to step into that and be offensive in that way. To have the courage to say something, right? See, when, when, you, when you live in such a way where you're just, you're just standing there and you're hip, you're, you, you're, you belong to the culture. People know you, right? You're, you're relevant, right? You know what's going on. And then when God's word is being contended for, you kind of stay quiet. And Paul's saying, you're not winning a prize. You're running this race. Apparently, you're, you're a hip-looking Christian dude. At least that's what you say you are. But you're not running a prize. You're not winning for a prize. You're running in circles. In the same way, Jesus, I never knew you. Because you never knew me. You didn't even know what I was about. You didn't even know that I'm here to save souls, and yet you, among all your people, 
unwilling to even speak my word to them. Ultimately, ultimately, right, the requirement for mission, look, listen guys, requirement to deal with this culture, you got to both contend and contextualize. You got to run in such a way where you're fighting for the prize. Okay? And lastly, how do I do that, PT? How do I do that? How do you guys think? Jesus Christ, amen, right? Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. A lot of us are like that, huh? I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You know what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying this. Athletes train if they want to win, yes? If you play a sport, you train if you want to win. Christians train. There is a discipline that Christians undergo if you want to grow. Does that make sense? There's a discipline that we have to undergo in our lives if we want to grow. The Bible says, I, no, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that I may not be disqualified for the prize. I train this body. I force it. And no other person in this world can give us a better example than Jesus Christ, right? Who was willing not just to beat his body, but to sacrifice his own being for the prize of seeing his children, the people, you, come to know him. If the person whom we follow is willing to lay down even his life, how much more do you think you as a follower ought to break yourself to grow and to discipline yourself to such a place where you're growing in holiness. Holiness, guys, is not developed by just sitting there and you're like, woohoo, I'm holy, right? Same thing, you can't run a marathon by just sitting down and he's like, don't worry, I got this. 26.2 miles, I got the first mile down. Next 25, no problem. It doesn't work that way, right? If you want to train, if you want to grow, if you want to see this happen, you got to discipline yourself in such a way where you're praying, you're repenting, you're coming to the Word, you're saying, look, I may not understand why, but I'm willing to obey. You're willing to change. You're willing to make the steps to change. You're not just sitting there being complacent, but you're making real changes to contend. You guys get me? Okay. The power to engage your culture is always the gospel. You cannot take that out. You need the gospel to engage the culture, but the gospel is able to actually contextualize all gospels, all, all, all culture. The tensions of culture, right, it's whether you receive, redeem, or reject it. You got to figure out which one it is. And thirdly, the requirement of, of, of engaging your culture, making room for Jesus in your culture, is you got to discipline yourself for holiness. You got to discipline yourself for holiness. Okay? Some of you guys are like, PT, you don't understand, man. I can't, I can't memorize stuff. I can't remember things from the Bible. I don't remember the first five commandments of, 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 of the Ten Commandments. Like, how am I supposed to, like, help people, right? You don't know I can help you memorize the five, first five in three minutes right now, right? You'd be surprised. You'd be like, I can't do that. Five verses. I'll help you at this very moment to memorize, okay? Just so you know that you can. So when you leave this place, you're like, well, I did it in three minutes, so it can happen, okay? You guys ready? Real fast. Okay, real fast. Hey, right, look at this. Uh, look at this. Uh, this this the stained glass window. Okay, so imagine it. Look at it. Imagine money just dropping like rain, 
just falling down, like money. You can hear it crackling as it falls, like change falling. You have the $1 bill, $10 bill, $100 bill, just falling down. You got to see the picture. You have to see it, though, okay? Imagine it. You got to see it. You see it falling? Yes, yes? It's good, right? You're like, whoa, that's a lot of money. Yes, I know, right? So bring it over. Look at this. Look at this jump set right here. Focus on this jump set. This, this image, this, this location of this jump set, right? Think of an eyeball. It's an eyeball. A big old fat eyeball, blue iris looking right at you. It's following you wherever. It's kind of creepy, but it's following you wherever it's going, right? Wherever your eyes go, it goes. Can you see the eyeball? It has to be big, okay? Don't think, don't think of these tiny little spotty eyeballs. Big old eyeball. You got it? Yeah, big old eyeball. Okay. Look at the top of the cross, okay? Imagine the word Lord. Big letters. Bold font, not comic sans, but maybe something bolder, okay? Aerial, right? L O R D, right? Huge capitalized letter, L O R D, Lord, okay? Lord's up there, okay? You guys got that so far? Okay, come back down here too. Oh, what's my. Imagine this, this thing right here. There's a big old, uh, right here, this spot right here. This, this spot, this spot, okay? Right before this, big old bathtub. Bathtub, okay? Water's boiling, it's hot. You think you can jump in there, right? Right, the steam coming out, there's little duckies, there's a little boat that's kind of sailing back and forth, just inviting you to come in. Right, it's like this nice portable bathtub, like, man, I want to be in there. Okay? Right, lastly, think of a, uh, this TV, uh, I mean, that TV right there. Think of that TV, okay? It has to be that TV. That TV, just imagine your parents' faces right there looking at you. Both your parents, mom and dad, looking right at you, just staring right at you. Okay? They're like, hey, I'm watching you. And you're like, I'm watching you too, right? Both parents. You guys get me? Okay? So over here, what do we see? We see. Money, over here, what do we see? Eyeball, right, over here, what do we see? Lord, over here, what do we see? Bathtub, what do we see over here? Parents, okay, that's the first five commandments. Check this out, okay? So as you look at this picture, you're thinking what? I'm thinking money. Money is like a God, right? First commandment is what? You shall have no other gods but me, okay? You shall have no other gods but me. Think about money. As you follow, you realize, I don't want that God. You shall have no other God but me. Here, second one, right? Eyeball. Eyeball sounds like idol. Idol, eyeball, right? You laugh, you laugh. Well, check this out. Eyeball, okay, right? Like, you shall have no idols. You shall not make an idol for a, a carbon image. No idols for me, right? Third one. Lord, right? You shall not take my name in vain, right? You shall not take my name in vain, Lord. All right, this one, bathtub. Sabbath, right? You like to take a bath, right? Sabbath, bath, right? Again, you're laughing, right? I have a bathtub, right? Honor the Sabbath. And last one, parents, is honor. Honor your parents. You guys get me? You're laughing, right? I guarantee you will never walk into this room and not remember those plus five anymore, right? All right, what's the second commandment over here? No idols, right? What's the first commandment? No the gods, right? What is this fifth commandment? Name is being vain, this one? Parents, this one? Tyler, three minutes exactly. Three minutes exactly. First five commandments, all right? Hey, guys, I'm telling you, okay? You can memorize your Bible, okay? Trust me on this one. Trust me on this. If you would just discipline yourself. Three minutes, y'all. Okay? If you apply that deeper to more verses, you can probably do it. Okay? Come to TGIF. I'll teach you. Okay? All right. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray.